Right, John chapter 12, verses 27 through 36 is where we're going to read this morning. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, the voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of the world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being able to come to your house uh, this morning and worship. It's, it's great for the second week to, to see faces and to be able to open your word and study it. Thank you, Lord, for the, uh, be able, being able to virtually meet uh, with those uh, people as well as we just open your word and we study it. We study it. I, I just love to flip the pages and, and just learn no matter what we're going through personally, what we're going through in our towns, our city, our country, our world. It doesn't matter what we're going through because how we're supposed to handle it, how we're supposed to react, react is in your word. So let us just open it this morning and just be with us. May we be with you. May we be with you in your house this morning. In your son's name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. All right. So lifting up Christ. So this morning I get to stand on a platform, or elevated. Now granted, I'm limited in my platform. Can't go too far. Um, but uh, I told Brother Randy, I was like, the Lord told me to go to that side. I'm going to go to that side. But, but uh, no, we understand the, trying to keep it in the screen. But, you know, you stand on a platform. We, we raise things. Um, we raise flags, ceremonies, and services. They put special banners up. You know, billboards. Are billboards down at the ground level? Are they up real high, right? Billboards are up real high, right? And there's so many funny billboards out there, right? You could go through numerous ones of those. Uh, Joe and I, we were coming back from the river yesterday. <laughs> Imagine that. Um, and uh, right when we were getting around roundabout, there's, you know, the huge road sign. And Joe was like, I wonder if the house was there first or the road sign was there first. Because, you know, you got your yard and it got this big road sign um, up there. It's like, well, probably the house was there first. But, you know, you, these, these signs go up for attention, and um, I asked Renee, I was like, what's your, um, what's your funniest billboard that you remember? And uh, she said uh, that she walked by, or she didn't walk by, it was on, I think, Interstate 85 back in North Carolina, and this investment firm put up there on the billboard, it said just in big, bold letters, it says, your rich relative is not your retirement plan. And uh, I was like, yeah, that, that's a good one, right? And uh, I remember the first, when we first moved here two to three, three years ago, is that uh, in Roanoke, there was this law firm um, I think it was like Skyrod, or uh, I don't know. He was, he was, a, he was a lawyer. And uh, this man, we talk about joining in unity. 
And uh, if by chance he hears this message, I, I apologize. But when we saw this man, it was like taking Donald Trump and Bill Clinton and mixing them together. And I was like, that's an odd picture. And we joked about it. But then again, you know, it, it, there's a deeper meaning to that. It was funny for us because we take two different people. But when I think about it, it's like we are all united, right, uh, across that uh, political spectrum uh, when we're united in Christ. So when we lift something up, when we lift something up, we lift it up to make it more visible, and it gives it more importance. So today we're going to look through this. There's this dialogue in this passage. There's this dialogue between Jesus and the crowd that we're going to walk through, simply verse by verse. We're going to walk through it, and we're going to pull things out, and we're going to see what we learn from it today. So going right back to the very beginning in verse 27, it says, Now is my soul trouble, right? Now, for the red letter edition, Jesus is saying that, just to clarify, right? Now is my soul troubled. Now, we've talked about the humanity of Christ uh, before the past couple weeks, right? But the word troubled um, is a Greek word, terasso. Try to say that as nice as I could. But really, it goes back, it means shaken or deeply stirred. Right? Shaken or deeply stirred, um, deeply disturbed. And we think about things in our lives that trouble us. And when I think about things in my life that trouble me, they just seem so trivial to what Jesus was troubled for, right? You know, and there are greater things in our lives, you know, diagnosis, a death in the family. You know, there, there's different things that trouble us in our lives. But Christ was deeply troubled. We're going to stay here just for a minute because the same word is used in Matthew 2.3. In Matthew 2.3, it says, um, When Herod, the king, heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now, this was the announcement of Christ's birth. It troubled him. It's the same word used that Jesus used in our primary text today. It troubled Herod so much that he actually went ahead and he had all the children killed. Right? All the boys killed under a certain age. Right? That's how much it deeply troubled him. Another context of the word can be seen in Matthew 14, 25. Matthew 14, 25, it states, But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. Terrified, here the same as troubled, and said, It is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. It's not just something, hey, I don't like what I eat. You know, this person said something. It is deeper. It is much, much deeper when it says in our passage that Jesus was troubled. Jesus was troubled. In John eleven thirty three. 33, look, look at that with me. John eleven thirty three. 33. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he, Jesus, was deeply moved and his spirit was greatly troubled. And then in John 13, 21 it says, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. You kind of get the picture a little bit? I'm glad Huff took a few minutes here because I was struggling with this message and how I bounced from oh happy day to a savior that was troubled. But yes, you did steal my message. That's okay. We're going to say it again. We have a Savior that was troubled. So why 
was Jesus trouble? You might think, Kevin, that's an easy question. But I love how things are connected together in Scripture, and I latched on to one thing. So, so flip with me and follow me. I like to hear that right there. So, so, so flip with me, because these, these little things. We read these little passages, and they might not have deep, significant meaning, but to see how the Word of God connects all these little passages together. So why is Jesus trouble? Turn with me to John 7, 30. John 7, 30. Now we're going to roll through like four passages in like a minute. Okay, it's real quick. But I want you to see this because it's really, it's really neat. Because I've read this, this phrase many, many times. And then it gives its own answer. So in John 7, 30, it says, So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, him being Jesus, because his hour had not yet come. His hour had not yet come. Then in John 8, 20, flip a page to John 8, 20. It says, These words he, Jesus, spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. His hour had not yet come. But then in John 12, 23, John 12, 23, it changes. And it says, And Jesus answered them, The hour has come. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The hour has come. And then one more. John 13, 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father... Having loved his own where we were in the world, he loved them to the very end. So why was Jesus troubled? Jesus was troubled because his hour has come. Now we're going to talk about today what he had to do, what his purpose statement was. But like Huff has said, it's your hour too. So we're going to talk about today what Christ and what Christ did but you think about you and what you need to do in this world today. Okay? All right, so Jesus was troubled for his hour that was upon him. But was it the betrayal? Was it the physical pain and torture that he was getting ready to go through? Was it the lashings? Was it the carrying of the cross? Would that bother you? It bothered me. But I think there was something, I don't think, I know there was something weighing heavier on him than the physical pain that was about to be on him. And that, my friends, was the spiritual suffering and the spiritual torture that he was getting ready to go through. And why do I choose those words? I choose those words, torture, because it is nothing that he did. It is nothing. It is absolutely nothing that he did. But he had such anguish, such trouble in his soul because he was going to carry every dirty, evil, rotten thing that we did to the cross so that he could wipe it clean by glorifying his Father above. Could he have stopped it? It's God, Jesus Christ, the God-man. Could he have stopped it? Yes, he could. He could have stopped it. How can you say that? It's in the scripture. He could have stopped it. Matthew 26, 53 states, Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father 
and he will once again send me more than 12 legions of angels? He could have stopped it, but he didn't. He didn't stop it. John 10, 17. John 10, 17. For this reason the Father loves me, because I, Jesus, lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I receive from my Father. Jesus could have saved himself, but he didn't because he wanted to save you. And he wanted to save everyone. No matter what sign they're toting, he wanted to save them. And he wants to save them. And he might be using us to save them. Think about that. He could have saved himself but condemned the world. It's a big statement. He condemned himself at that time on the cross so that we could be saved. Verse 28. Verse 12, 28. Chapter 12, verse 28. And it says, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. I like this passage. I like this scripture. I like this whole passage. I enjoyed studying it so much this week um, from random different viewpoints and different things and studying it and, um, and just being still. That's a skill that goes uh, untaught today, being still. Think about how much you be still. But doesn't scripture command it? He doesn't say sit there all day. But be still and reflect. Because we're going to talk about action a little bit, right? But sometimes you have to be still and listen to Christ to know what you need to do in your actions, right? You have to know that. So um, Christ's purpose for going to the cross here was simply to glorify. Simply, we're going to elaborate in a minute, but simply glorify His Father. And then there's a voice from heaven. A heaven could not remain silent. I think about that. Heaven could not remain silent. You ever had a message that was too good? You just couldn't contain yourself, and you wanted to tell somebody about it. Right? You want to tell somebody about it. You know, a small example this week, Lily runs downstairs, and she said, Daddy, 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 guess what? I was like, what? She goes, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. I was like, what? You made a goal with your left hand. She goes, oh, how'd you know? Mama told me. <laughs> right? But she was so excited. She had this little message for Daddy, and she couldn't just keep it in. She had to tell and then you've got the opposite side of the spectrum. You have, you have people that, you know, they're, uh, no offense to Debbie. I don't know where this phrase comes from, but Debbie Downers, right? I don't know. The only message they give is bad news, right? They want to share a message because it's bad news. It's kind of like the sympathy side. But, so Debbie, that, I don't know where that phrase comes from. I'm going to have to go study it because you're definitely not a Debbie Downer, right? But we have to, you know, people have messages that they just have to tell. They just have to tell. They just have to tell. I think a problem with that, though, is that what? All those messages revolve around who? Whether good or bad, who do those messages revolve around? Us. Me. I got something good I want to say about me. I've got something bad I want to say, too. But they, we don't talk about Christ and that message. We don't get excited to share that message. And I hope to find some of that excitement today. Because God spoke two other times. 
God spoke two other times, and let's look at those. He spoke his third time here when he says, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. So let's look back at Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. This is the first time God spoke about his son Jesus. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water... And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. With whom I am well pleased. That's the first time God spoke to his Son Jesus on earth. And the second time was in Matthew 17, verses 5 through 7. Verses 5 through 7. After the mountain and the transfiguration. He says, He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. Listen to Him. So, when God spoke... Actually, I want to skip ahead just a little bit, because back in our passage... It says, um, Jesus answered them, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. But I think about how comforted I am when I'm troubled, when I'm hurting, when someone gives me a vote of confidence, a reassurance that they're there. Jesus specifically said, I am not putting words in Jesus' mouth here. I may be extending a personal application a little bit. But Jesus says in verse 30, it says, The voice has come for your sake, not mine. That is absolutely true. When I read that, I think to myself, though, how much it means when my father says something positive to me. And how much it means when I say something positive or negative to my children. The impact that that has on them. Jesus had to be comforted by that. By that God speaking. So it's not the first time that God spoke to Jesus. And we know that God is glorified throughout Jesus' ministry. Right? John eleven forty says, Jesus said to her, Martha, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Throughout every miracle in Christ's ministry, out every miracle. I printed 37 of Jesus' miracles in chronological order. If you're interested, you can see it after the service. But what I was just saying here, it's a quick list. And it's not a comprehensive list, right? But those we're familiar with, Jesus turned water into wine, drives out the evil spirit, cleanses a man, cleanses a man with leprosy. Jesus calms a storm on the sea. Jesus heals two blind men. Jesus feeds 5,000 men plus women and children. Jesus walks on water. Every one of those was not to glorify Jesus himself, but to glorify God our Father, the Creator. To bring glory to him. Where did this power come from? It came from God the Father. It came from God the Father. Verse 39. Excuse me, 29. It says, The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him angel had spoken to him. So we have two camps in this response here. We have those that kind of try to naturalize it and say, oh, it was just thunder. God spoke. God spoke. And they tried to just wash it away as a natural 
event. And there's people in our society that do that all the time. There's people in the church that ignore what God is telling them. Right? What does God's voice sound like? That was a weak thunder. Strong thunder. I thought when I started shaking, I was like, uh-oh, I remember you talking about this floor flex a little bit right here. And I was, I was a, little, a little timid there. <laughs> what does the voice of God sound like? Exodus 19, 19 says, And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. Job 37, 5 says, God thunders wondrously with his voice. He does great things that we cannot comprehend. Psalms 18, 13 says, The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. There is power in God's voice. Turn with me to Psalms 30, excuse me, Psalm 29, verses 3 through 4. Psalms 29, verses 3 through 4. I would ask you to read this entire Psalms this week as we just think about the voice of God. Read Psalms 29. Specifically today, though, verses, chapter 29, verses 3 through 4, it says, The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The, glory, the God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Sometimes we falsely try to calm a child and I remember random things that, you know, what was that? God's just moving furniture. You ever hear that little one growing up? I'm sure your parents may have had their own version or whatever, but God's just moving furniture, it's nothing. Right? We've got kids that enjoy the thunder, kids that are terrified by the thunder. In your family, you've probably had different, different spectrums, right? But that's another little mini nugget for today is when there's a storm, what do you hear? Thunder. I don't know if it's the exact correlation, and I'm using a few disclaimers today because I'm putting these things together in my mind. But when there's a storm, who speaks? God speaks. In your storms, who do you need to listen to? God. So if you're safe in the physical storm, take that time to reflect upon your life and see what storms you may be going through. That might be the stillness that God is trying to give you. And the other camp said it must be an angel. And there's several examples of angels in the Old Testament. But regardless of angels or supernatural, both of them were wrong. It was the voice of God that said that. I want to be clear that it was the voice of God speaking. All right, verses 30 through 32 back in our chapter, or the book of John. It says, Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Your sake, not mine. So he's speaking to the crowd. Again, it's a vast crowd, right, that he's speaking to. And then the, the next act, he said it was glorify. He would do several things. He would do several things. And this is almost like the, the Jesus purpose statement. In a nutshell, the Jesus purpose, purpose statement in these next three sentences, right? And um, before we look at those three purpose statements, um, the, the Coleys have a small purpose statement. Does any other family have a purpose statement? 
That's another little challenge for you today. Whether you're a family of six, a family of one, a family of two, a family of three, what is your purpose? Ours is somewhat generic, but it's important. It simply states, shine God's light, share the good news, and love everyone. That's it. Now, I think Morgan drew it, and it's on our refrigerator. That's where we put it. We don't read it every day. We don't recite it every day. It's in front of us, and we go back to it every now and then. But what is your purpose? Take a minute with your spouse. Take a minute with the Scripture. What is your purpose in life? So let's look at this verse 31 and 32, right? There are three things in these two verses, and that is the purpose statement of what Christ um, has done or getting ready to do from this passage, but he's done now, right? Number one, now now is the judgment of this world, okay? The judgment of the world was then. So we live in a judged world. And it's kind of opposite what happened to the, to the Jews in this, in this passage and the people in this passage and all three of these. It's kind of the opposite of what we would think. It's a reversal of what we would think. The Jews thought that they were uh, correctly judging Christ at this time. But what was Christ actually doing? Christ was actually judging the world, including them. So we live in a judged world today. There are temporary and physical consequences as we live through those today, but there are also eternal consequences if we don't live and follow the path of Christ. The second thing, it says, now is the judgment of this world. And the second thing, now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Cast out. It looked like Satan had won that day on Calvary. But did he win? No, he didn't win. Jesus is the one that crushed his head with his heel. He defeated the foe. And we forgot our fly swatter. Did we bring in the fly swatter? Forgot the fly swatter. I heard this illustration this week. Okay. I think it's a little too generic. But I like it. Because it lets you know that we are fighting a defeated Satan. The gentleman said that he had this wasp flying around in his room, right? And he got this fly swatter, right? He's trying to get this wasp. And finally it landed, and then he goes, smack! Bang! False fall, wasp falls to the floor. Saying, that's good, ain't got nothing to do with that, right? But then what's he do? Y'all might have done this. He goes, oh, all right. He goes down and he grabs the wasp. Yeah, popped it, right? Because he was down, but he wasn't out. The death blow had been given, but he was still flailing around, looking to take anybody with him that he could. See that? That cross on Calvary that day, Jesus Christ defeated Satan. 
Revelation tells us that there will be a time when he is permanently cast out. But right now, he is down and he is flailing and he is looking to take anybody with him that he can. Right? That he can. So it's a very good illustration from that regard. But I don't want you to think that he's just down there flailing around because Paul says in Ephesians 6, 11, it says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The schemes of the devil. And because of what we're going through in our culture today, in society today, our nation today, I'm going to read verse 12 and 13 because it's applicable. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We do not wrestle against our own flesh and blood. The devil flailing around. We can disagree and still love somebody. We can. Not steal your line, but we can. We can. And we're called to do it. So the second thing in Christ's purpose statement from our passage was that he cast out the ruler of this world. He cast out Satan. And the third thing says, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So we talk a lot about the, we have the martyrs, right, in the early faith. And the Jews, whenever you broke a Jewish law, one of the most common things was to be stoned. You're either against the wall, hurled at, or they dug a small pit, and they buried you with stones. They knocked you where? Down and out. Down and out. But Christ says before his death that he will be lifted up, not down. This is not a deep spiritual meaning whatsoever. It is simply saying right here when he says, I will be lifted up, that I will be crucified on the cross. He will be lifted up, not cast and stoned. The Jews thought he would be dead, but little did he know that he was going to bring redemptive life to every person that accepted him. So by lifting up, it glorifies God. God will be glorified by lifting up of the cross. How in the world does the cross glorify God? How does the cross glorify God? This is a quote from John MacArthur. It states, The cross glorifies the Father in several ways. First of all, the cross puts on display all of God's attributes. God is glorified when we are made aware of who He is. On the cross, you see God's love in action, His grace in action. You see His mercy in action, His justice, His wrath, His judgment. You see His wisdom, the truth being vindicated. You see prophecy being fulfilled. His word is affirmed. You see righteousness declared. You see power declared. All that is on the cross. God is putting on display more of His attributes in a concentrated form on the cross than any other event in redemptive history. All of that by lifting up Christ on the cross. Jesus knew His purpose. Do you know yours? Another thing, and this ties right back to our last song of worship this praise this morning Christ could see all of the glory he could see all of the joy ahead of him 
ahead of him. No matter what he was going through, he could see the joy and the glory ahead of him. No matter what you're going through, no matter what trials you're going through, no matter what troubles you're going through, do you see the glory ahead of you? Do you see it? Or are you so focused on today that you lose sight of that glory and you lose sight of what you could be doing and you become paralyzed with fear? You become paralyzed, well, I'm better than them. Do you see the glory ahead of you? Do you know your purpose at this hour? Verse 34. Verse 34, so the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that Christ remains forever. How can you say that the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? See, this didn't make sense to them. It didn't make sense to them. It might not make sense to you this morning, but let me walk you through this timeline of why it didn't make sense to them. It made sense to the crowd that Jesus would be there to judge people. It would make sense to them that he would be there to defeat all of their enemies. But it doesn't make sense that their king would be crucified. It doesn't make sense to them. See, it all went downhill. On Monday, it's the Passion Week, on Monday, rode into town and Jesus is their Savior. He is their Messiah. He is their king forever. On Tuesday, what happens? He takes that table, he throws it in the temple, and he tells them like it is. Instead of attacking their enemies, he attacks them for their hearts and lives being in the wrong place. I don't know exactly what day this passage is. It's sometime in the middle of that week, right? So you go from him, he's the Messiah, he's the King, he's the Savior. On Tuesday, he attacks me, and now he's telling me he's going to be killed. It doesn't make sense. I would understand how they're confused as well. But their problem is a problem just like we have a lot today. They wanted to see Christ as he is portrayed in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. I'm going to read it. Probably be up here. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and he was presented before him. And to him he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all powers, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed." We get to play Monday morning quarterback with this passage. We know what happens at the end of the week. We know that the grave was empty. Amen. We know that. We know that. But they didn't at the time. They had this passage. How can you be my king? How can you be my savior when it says right here that you're telling me you're going to die, but the kingdom is one that shall never be destroyed? How can that be? They didn't read the full story. It's like if you listened to Huff's podcast yesterday or the day before, listen to it about the fly. We don't necessarily need to tear all the history down. We need to make sure we understand the full picture, the full story, so that we know what's going on. The people in the crowd chose to only look at the Son of Man. What they failed to do was look in Isaiah 53 about the man of sorrows. Nobody wants to talk about a man of sorrows. But Isaiah 53, it says that he is a man of sorrows. 
Verse 5, it says, but he will be pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for their iniquities. Verse 7, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, like a lamb that is being led to slaughter. Verse 9 in chapter 53 of Isaiah says, And there, and they made his grave with the wicked and the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth. The crowd had that same passage, just like we have the same passage today. We have the full story in the scripture, but we don't want to believe it. We don't want to believe it. We don't want to look at the full story. We don't want to look at the evidence. The other morning, I was, I was working from home, and I had the window open. I hear this laughing and playing. And then I don't hear laughing and playing anymore. I hear arguing, and I hear fussing, and I hear fighting. So I stick my head outside, and we got a new game, new disc golf game. Anybody ever played disc golf? Kind of fun. Just throw this frisbee in a basket. That's essentially disc golf. But one child was upset because he had only taken three shots. But all of his other brothers and sisters said he had taken four shots. So he failed the evidence of three versus the four. Now, I am not going to put my child, for the sake of an illustration, and my wife holding me accountable personally, that I did the exact same thing yesterday with a type of frisbee that I had. Because the kids said, hey, this is your Frisbee. I said, no, it's not. Mine has palm trees on it, like palm branches. I specifically remember palm branches. This is what my Frisbee was. I did not have the pink one. I didn't. I had the orange one. The orange one. My family was entirely adamant that, no, this pink one with the palm tree. What did you say it had on it? Palm tree. So now I'm really confused because I... I, 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 I was, oh, I was, I, I had the orange one with the palm branches on it, not the pink one with the palm tree on it. Anyway, it's a confusing mess, but just to let you know, if everybody else says it, at least listen to them, okay? Or retreat to your nothing box and pretend it never happened. I don't know. I don't know. But, so, yeah, it was five on one, so you have to listen, right? Um, that's what I say. Be strong. Stand on the word. <laughs> Misapplication. All right. But back to the crowd. The crowd. All right. Back to the crowd. They failed to listen to the whole story. They were walking, and I'm still in another line from the podcast yesterday. They were walking by emotion, not by the Bible, and not by the scriptures that they had in front of them. Just like we walk by emotion instead of the biblical scriptures that we need to guide our lives by today. That's what we need to do, is walk by those scriptures, not by our emotions. Verses 35 and 36. It says, so Jesus said to them, they asked, right, the crowd asked, who is the son of man? So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. Now, when I read this passage, I circled, I circled, I circled two words. I circled the word walk. Okay, Walk while you have the light. 
Because I take that walk, again, in my mind, it connects to what was the crowd doing earlier in verse 29? They were what? The crowd that stood there. Stood there. Versus walking. Right, we've talked about the passage in James before. Do not be just doers. Do not be hearers. Do what? Doers. Don't just stand there. Walk. Walk. Is the action. It's better to go through life with Christ than without Him, that's for sure. Again, Huff said yesterday, now is not the time to be silent or we will repeat the steps of the past. We have a purpose. This is our hour. Now, we often speak on the light, right? It is a very common illustration. I think it is because it's one that we can all relate to and understand very well, right? But I want to just do this quick illustration to say that you, right? Don't get mad at me for saying this because there's a point. You are not the light. You are not the light. Now somebody's going to go to me, Matthew 5 says I'm the light. Right? Because I checked it. It said you're the light. But I'm telling you, you're not the light. I'm telling you, you are not the light. Right? You're not the light unless you're what? Connected. Connected to what? Right. To Christ. Right? Okay. You're not the light. Is the light on? It's really light in here. Light's on. You have to be connected to Christ in order to be a light, in order to be the light that people need in a very dark and troubled world. So what are you going to do? Right? What are you going to do? Some of us are more bold than others. I would say take this example and put it on your sleeve. Brian, if you could put up that slide I asked you about. You never, ever know. Now, don't get too deep in this theological, just theological summary here. Not too deep. But I want you to put Christ on your sleeve. Because here's what happened to me yesterday. I'm sitting here kind of tweaking on the last aspects of this message. And one of my kids comes downstairs says, hey, Dad. I'm sitting right here. says, hey, Dad. What's this? And at first I said, oh, it's one of my school papers. And then I said, you idiot. You just gave me an opportunity to walk through the entire saving message of Christ with one of my children. And this illustration talks here, you can definitely have a copy, but it's simply, right, you have your physical birth, then you have your spiritual birth, right? And at that point of justification, right, you are free from the penalty of sin, you go through your life, you learn to love, you learn to obey, you learn to align your will with God, right? And then at your physical death, there's a moment of glorification. Where? 
you are now freed from the presence of sin. And you are in Christ's presence. Right? Simply, simply, simply put. Religion is something that, you know, like children can swim in and theologians can drown in. That is simply the message. Simply the message that we need for that glorification that one day all of us will be able to share with others and share in that glorification. So we have to shine God's light for all the world to see. Now when I say that phrase, for all the world to see, people are like, whoa, how am I supposed to change the world? And I said this at Bible study the other, other night a couple weeks ago, is that change the world, how can I change the world? And then Brother Dave, he said, Ray Thomas, he said, you don't have to change the world. You change one person at a time. And so when I say shine your light to the world, some of us will have a platform. Some of us, like I said, we'll have different platforms. We'll be raised up. People will be able to see us in different roles, responsibilities. Whether you'll, I don't know what each person's situation is, but you will have different opportunities. You may not be the one called to save the world. There's only one person actually called to save the world. right? And we've been talking about him all morning in Jesus Christ. But when I say that shine your light for the world, I know that's a big world. Big word, but focus, focus on your sphere of influence, if you've heard that. Who are the people around you? And maybe, like Huff challenged us before, your sphere of influence needs to get a little bigger. A little bigger. Let's stretch that a little bit. Of who needs to be in our sphere of influence. What brother or sister do we need to lend a hand to? Shine that light. So, close it out. We talked about troubled, and he was troubled. Christ was troubled because the hour had come. But he could see the joy of God being glorified, glorified at the cross, and then ultimately again at the resurrection. And then we also, as believers in Christ, will have a moment of glorification when we die. But we will be with God without the presence of sin. So I know that it doesn't look like much out there, no matter what channel you watch, it doesn't look like much out there. But my prayer today is for you to realize that you do have a light to shine. You do have a sphere of influence. And you keep focused on that joy that is ultimately ahead. Now, joy is not a totally feel-good message because joy takes work. We have to be doers. We have to be actionable. We have to do something. So whatever Christ is putting on your heart to do is between you and him. So let's stand and reflect on the message.